Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. This is October 5th, and here are your grain headlines for this week. We're going to start off by talking about the USMCA. That's the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement that was announced earlier this week. There's been a lot of talk about the impacts for dairy, eggs, and poultry of note is the uh, 3.6% of market access that's being given up by the dairy sector. Um, but there are a few things in there that grain farmers should also be um, made aware of. Um, first off, there's going to be a modernized Committee of Agricultural Trade, which is going to provide a forum uh, to address any issues and trade barriers that might come up. And then we're also going to be maintaining commitments that reflect the unique character of the sale of wine and spirits in Canada. And the um, Office of the United States Trade Representative kind of further explained that to mean that um, they basically agreed to continue to recognize that there are distinctions between bourbon whiskey, Tennessee whiskey, tequila, mezcal, and Canadian whiskey, and those are going to continue to be known as distinctive products. So when it comes to grains, and we know how much the distilled uh, spirits industry is uh, important to Ontario, um, that's good to know that that uh, difference is going to be uh, maintained. We've also um, learned that um, this agreement is going to allow U.S. grown wheat of varieties that are registered in Canada to receive an official Canadian grain grade as well. So there's a um, a small segment there that relates to to wheat. And one final thing is also there is an agreement specifically addressing agricultural biotechnology to support 21st century innovations. Um, So this covers all biotechnologies, including new ones such as gene editing. And this will mean that they've agreed, all countries, the United States, Mexico, and Canada, have agreed to provisions to enhance information exchange and cooperation on agricultural biotechnology trade-related matters. So that could be some good news if we're looking to the future in terms of CRISPR and other uh, methods of uh, biotechnology. So there was also um, a recent OMAFRA field crop report that came out looking at um, assessing your field for ear rot and microtoxin risk. Um, this was this particular one was funded um, in part by Grain Farmers of Ontario as well as the Ontario Agribusiness Association and OMAFRA. Um, so they have some suggestions for what corn producers can do at harvest uh, when they're scouting their fields. Um, so they say it's similar to uh, for all corn ear rots. Uh, you should begin scouting your fields at the late dense stage to determine um, presence and severity of ear rots. So some of the interesting suggestions in this report um, that if you do find that ear rot is present, there's some good storage and feeding precautions. Uh, so you should harvest as early as possible. Um, if there's any insect or bird damage, um, you should harvest the outside damage rows separately and keep and handle that grain from those rows separately. Um, You should also adjust harvest equipment to minimize damage to the corn. Um, Cool the grain after drying. You should clean your bins before storing new grain. Um, And uh, check stored grain often for temperatures, wet spots, insects, and mold growth. So there's a lot of uh, good suggestions in that report um, for dealing with this if you do find any. Uh, ear rot or mycotoxin risk in your grain. 
And speaking of insects, uh, the Field Crop News has also uh, issued a report talking about some of the insect issues that uh, the Field Crop team did see this year. And they say that some pests that they would typically expect to see weren't that big of a problem. So if we talk about armyworm and western bean cutworm for uh, wheat and corn, um, they didn't uh, cause as much of a problem as they have in past years this year. They think that's probably because of an increase in natural enemies for these pests. And as well, the timing of planting may have also had an impact on the reduced populations. Basically as well, especially when we talk about West Green Cutworm uh, in corn, many of the cornfields had passed their most attractive stages before the peak moth flight occurred for those, for those pests. So that also helped in terms of reducing the populations. Um, there were some other pests, though, that uh, had higher populations than they might have otherwise expected. Um, that includes cereal leaf beetle, alfalfa weevil, soybean aphids, and pea aphids. Uh, they did reach thresholds in some areas. Um, if you're interested in learning more about what some of the uh, more prevalent pests were this year, please do go to fieldcropnews.com and look for their latest crop report. And this week was Ontario Agriculture Week, and you've probably seen a bit about that uh, online by now. Um, So Green Farmers of Ontario particularly was part of um, a common ground campaign that was a a number of different um, producer and commodity groups that came together for Agriculture Week um, to share stories. So back on Wednesday, we were down at Union Station, uh, and that was with uh, beef, dairy farmers, egg farmers, farm and food care, Ontario apple growers, the greenhouse vegetable growers, and Ontario pork. Um, That was a pretty exciting um, thing we were doing down in Union Station. So in the morning, they gave out breakfast sandwiches, and then again, between 4 and 5 p.m., they handed out some snack packs. So this is a really good way to just sort of raise awareness and get people more visibility for Ontario Ontario agriculture down in um, some areas where consumers don't often think about it as much, and a good opportunity to start conversations um, so we were happy to be part of that uh, for Ontario Agriculture Week. And as well, uh, Premier Doug Ford and our Agriculture Minister Ernie Hardiman both acknowledged the fact that it was uh, Agriculture Week. Um, Premier Ford did so by issuing a statement that basically thanked and acknowledged our, all the hard work that farmers do in the province. And he noted how the government has already taken steps to reduce hydro costs and scrap the cap-and-trade carbon tax and repeal the Green Energy Act, um, legislation that uh, they hope is going to help improve uh, the situation for farmers in terms of the cost that they have associated with farming. And Minister Hardiman repeated some of those sentiments as well, outlining the uh, successes, uh, you could say, that they've already achieved uh, with the government so far. But he also wanted to look towards the future, and he is asking for farmers to let him know about what they see are some of the main challenges that they face in terms of red tape and excessive regulation. He says in his letter to farmers that over the next few months, they're gonna, you're going to see some more of the steps that they are taking to reduce red tape and to simplify regulations. And so they're asking for you to uh, let them know what you would like to see in terms of uh, the roadblocks being reduced uh, to inc- so you can increase your productivity and uh, you know, be able to expand your operation. And uh, coming up next on the podcast, we talked to Alex Sanders, a master's student at the University of Guelph. <laughs>
So we are joined today on the podcast by Alex Sanders, and he is a master's student at the University of Guelph, and I think you're focusing on soil science. So we thought, um, we've been talking a little bit about sulfur in our magazine and thought it would be interesting to have you on to talk a bit more about your experience as a a university student at Guelph uh, and your master's and then get into sulfur. So I'm just going to start off a bit about what is your background in agriculture? Uh, So I grew up on a farm just west of Brussels. It's a cash crop farm. We grow corn, soybeans, and wheat. Yeah, we have about 150 acres there and try helping out as much as I can on the family farm on weekends when I'm not at school. Um, Yeah, that's pretty well my background in ag. I've had summer jobs in the ag industry throughout university. So did you think, I guess, growing up that you wanted to go in farming or what was your plan? I don't know. I just, I like working on the family farm and I figure it's a very exciting industry and it's a growing industry. So I figure it's a good, uh, a good bet to study agriculture. And so you've been at uh, the University of Guelph since your undergrad days or did you transfer from a different school? I've been at the University of Guelph for uh, four years now. I just finished my undergrad this spring. So. And while you were at Guelph, I understand that you were part of the weed science team? Yes, I was part of the OIC weeds team. Yeah. So we traveled down into the States to uh, compete against other universities in agronomy and weed identification and stuff like that. So. And I understand that you won that competition? Yes, I won two years in a row. So, so that means you know lots about weeds, not just soil. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what, what, um, what has made you decide that you want to make uh, soil science your kind of focus with your master's now? Well, I work under Dr. John Lozon, and I had him for a couple classes at university and a second-year soil science class and a fourth year. So I really liked him as a prof, for one. Um, for two, I kind of want to stay at in Guelph. I have a great group of people that I work with, profs and fellow students. Um, and I'm just really familiar with the university here, so I, want, I preferred a project at Guelph. This project specifically seemed very exciting to me. It seemed like a great opportunity to study something that... Uh, is kind of up and coming in the province. And I uh, I was down at FarmSmart and I saw the presentation we were talking a bit about sulfur and I know they had mentioned that you're going to be, I guess, getting more involved in presenting at some of those various uh, uh, different things like FarmSmart um, in the coming years, I guess, about that project. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty exciting. I guess uh, what led you, I, I we're always a little curious to learn more about people, so you started on your family farm. Um, what led you to doing your master's um, in soil science? I know you'd mentioned why you're with John, but like, why did you want to kind of pursue that uh, higher education? It was just going back to farming or something yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty well that. Just so specifically soil science rather or, than like... yeah, or just why you wanted to do a master's or sort of what's your direction? Do you want to do a PhD after that or? Um, <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, is yeah. the short answer. Um, it would be like it'd be fantastic if I kept going on, and if I uh, if I don't decide to do that, I'm excited to get a job in industry or in government, yeah. in research. So that's one goal with getting a master's. Because you don't think you'll go back to farming full time? I'm not sure if I'll be able to, based on the uh, size of our operation at home, but. Uh, it would be exciting to do that on the side at some point. Keep your hand in the practical side of farming so you yes. understand all those challenges and, and day-to-day. Yes, absolutely. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit then about um, what you're going to be studying with your research for your master's. So the goal of this project is to develop a sulfur soil test for Ontario. We don't have an official soil test for sulfur. And then the second part is figuring out uh, what factors lead to seeing a uh, response in field crops in Ontario, whether that be differences in uh, crop rotation, differences in 
just location alone in the province, what crops you're growing, and there's other factors too that lead to that. What kind of soil you're on. So why is sulfur important to crops? Uh, sulfur is, well, in, a, in addition to uh, nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, which are your three macronutrients, sulfur is kind of number four for uh, mineral nutrients for the plant. So some people call it a secondary nutrient, some people call it a macronutrient, and that's why it's so important. It's, uh, it's involved in photosynthesis, it's involved in nitrogen fixation. It's also a part of uh, two amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins. So very important nutrient for plants. So if plants don't have enough sulfur, I guess what's sort of the indication of that? Uh, you'll usually see it's a general yellowing. Sulfur isn't highly mobile in the plant. It isn't uh, immobile. It's somewhere in between. So you'll see it throughout the whole plant as opposed to like nitrogen you'll see on the bottom leaves for deficiency and like something like zinc you'll see on the upper leaves. Uh, in addition to that general yellowing and sometimes striping in uh, cereals like striping on the leaves, you might see some stunting too of the plants. So yellowing seems to be like a gen- general kind of uh, symptom of a lot of different things. So is that one of the reasons why we need this sulfur test that you're talking about developing? I guess once you see deficiency, it's too late to apply. So a sulfur soil test will hopefully just add to that toolkit in addition to tissue testing for identifying a deficiency. Uh, And one interesting thing um, I thought when I was listening to the presentation I saw on sulfur was um, that maybe it's more of something that people are considering now. I I think you guys had discussed uh, deposition a little bit. Um, I don't know. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So with stricter environmental regulations, there's been a decrease in pollution, I suppose, which is fantastic for the environment. Yeah, yeah we don't really um, hear about like acid rain anymore. Like when I was yes. growing up, that was always the big thing, right? It's like, oh my gosh, we have to prevent acid rain. Yes, absolutely. So with uh, uh, the Clean Air Act in the States, and there's also regulations in Canada as well, I guess progressive legislation, it's uh, the amount of sulfur being emitted into the air from, I don't know, like coal-fired plants has decreased over time. And that has led to a decrease in the amount of acid precipitation we've got and that a part of acid precipitation is sulfate which is what plants take up as sulfur we used to get around upwards of even 40 pounds per acre per year of sulfate which was quite enough for just about any crop that you grow here and since the 70s that has been declining to around uh, we're getting less than 10 pounds per acre that's per significant year in most of the province so so in addition to that lower deposition rates. Uh, we, there's been a shift in the types of fertilizer we've used. Quite a few years ago, we might have used gypsum or even single superphosphate as a phosphorus source, and those both contain sulfur. Now we're, uh, we're mostly using MAP or even triple superphosphate. Those contain very little to no sulfur. And the same goes for uh, ammonium sulfate has uh, given way to like urea, which contains no sulfur. Yeah. So in addition to the, those two factors, deposition and uh, deposition and a change in the types of fertilizer we use, we've also had increasing yields in the province, which means for uh, increased sulfur uptake. So we're increasing our uh, corn yield by, on average by two bushels per acre per year, wheat by one bushel, and soybeans by about a third of a bushel per acre per year. So that means we're taking more sulfur off the field. And is, is sulfur also one of those nutrients that we need to be concerned about when we talk about runoff in the fields, or does that tend to stay in the soil? Uh, sulfur actually behaves a lot like nitrogen in the soil. Um, you won't have an issue with runoff as much as uh, leaching. So any sulfate that you have in the soil in a fall will likely be leached away by the next year. And uh, I guess what crops 
um, would be the best consideration if you wanted to apply sulfur or looking at soil testing for that? Um, which ones, I guess, would you focus on the most? Uh, so the crops that need sulfur the most are likely your uh, brassicas. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the greatest user of sulfur would be something like a cabbage crop or a broccoli crop because you're taking the whole crop away from the field and uh, it has a really high sulfur content. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't take up a very big uh, acreage of the province. Um, the next two that we look at are probably canola and alfalfa, just because alfalfa has such a high yield potential. Like you're taking the whole plant away mm-hmm. and it has a high protein content, as well as canola, which is another brassica species. Mm-hmm. So we have seen some response in those two crops. We've seen quite a bit in wheat as well. Yeah. Um, I know Amafra has done some work and they've seen, I think about half the sites they studied saw response to sulfur, 13 to 13 out of 22 sites. I think it says in publication 811, the agronomy handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because wheat is, uh, it starts growing early in the spring and that's before sulfur can start mineralizing from organic matter. Mm-hmm. So that can't keep up with the sulfur requirements of the wheat in early spring. And that's why we're seeing some response in wheat. And then we're followed that by corn and finally soybeans. There's some anecdotal evidence for corn having a response to sulfur. And we haven't seen anything with soybeans yet, or very little. Yeah, it sounds like this is a good thing for you to do your master's in. Like, there's just so many unanswered questions and and a lot of unknowns in terms of what plants could use sulfur and how they use it. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's been a little bit of work in Europe just because they're facing the same issues with us with lower deposition rates. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some work in the States too, but... For the most part, there hasn't been very much research done in Ontario. And when we talk about sulfur deficiency and whether or not applying it would uh, help with a crop, what's the cost associated to farmers about for, for using that if they have to do an application? I don't have any specific values for fertilizer. Um, I know there's you'll use a source of sulfur based on the availability to you and uh, what it costs, essentially. Um, I know there's elemental sulfur as one option. And it's a lot cheaper because it's essentially a byproduct of the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. However, when you apply it to soil or apply it to your crop, it takes some time for it to become essentially activated. It must be uh, oxidized in the soil, which requires uh, good warm conditions. So that it becomes sulfate. Elemental sulfur is oxidized to sulfate, which plants take up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good source to like maybe apply in the fall, more like. Whereas you have your uh, sulfate sources, which are uh, like... AMS, ammonium sulfate, or potassium sulfate, which I guess is also called sulfate of potash. Um, Those are better to apply in the spring. Certainly, they're much more available to crop immediately. And I know because this is a great area to start doing research in, and I think um, now that we're talking about it a little bit more, I know there's um, a bit of people talking about it. If farmers sort of want to take steps towards uh, applying sulfur, what what would you suggest to them to start looking at their own farm and, and how to how to look into using sulfur? Well, the best thing to do is to do your own on-farm trials. Uh, when, whenever we do a trial, um, like I know I'm, I have plots on Alora, which are a bit more extensive than what we would do on an on-farm trial. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, we're hoping to get some growers for our project to do those on-farm strips. Yeah. But even still, the recommend, recommendations that we'll make will be on average for the province and that won't specifically be for your own farming operation or it may not perfectly fit your own farming operation. So we'd recommend setting up strip trials and making sure that you have a control. So you have 
at least a few strips that are don't have any sulfur applied and you have some strips that are you have 20 pounds per acre of sulfur 10 pounds per acre just try it out for a few years and see if you see a response and if you think it's worthwhile then keep using it and you mentioned that you want some farmers to participate in trials so if if somebody's interested in and in working with you first off where do where should they be located what's your ideal place and and how do they contact you uh, we'd happy be happy with like anyone across the province, any grower who's interested in doing it. Um, as for contacts, they can contact uh, Dr. John Lozon, who's my advisor. They can also contact uh, Joanna Burroughs at Amafra or uh, Jake Monroe. He's at Amafra as well. They're helping with us, helping us on this project. Great. And do you have any trials? It's always interesting to see across the province. We have such a, a variety um, out towards eastern Ontario yet, or is that something you're still looking to get more people involved in? Or uh, We didn't actually get very many growers this year. We yep. got funding fairly late, yep. so it was hard to uh, uh, convince growers to join in. Um, so because of that, we only had four growers this year mm-hmm. for trials. So none of those were out in East Ontario, but we'd absolutely be interested to see. So I guess that's maybe something we can talk about uh, as a master's student and having to get funding for your research. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and from a student perspective, what it's like to just kind of be starting out and, and entering that world of grants and, and funding? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy I had I bypassed that a little bit. Um, John and his team, like in, in his office, had most of the funding uh, pretty well, not guaranteed, but he had all the applications in for funding from grain farmers as well as from Amafra mm-hmm. for the spring. Uh, I had, normally I would get funded from the university or from that project to be paid, but I also looked into like scholarships and things like that to pay for myself to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be quite a process, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it hasn't been very too much stress on my part yet. Um, and I think it's a lot of the researchers we work with at Grain Farmers of Ontario um, and we talk to don't always have a lot of background in farming. And I think it's really interesting that you come from a farm. Have you found that that's um, benefited as you're getting into your master's research program? I know there's lots of students at the OAC, but I, I think that's a bit of a unique perspective. What have you found? Uh, I think it's been absolutely wonderful for me. Yeah. Um, I know everything from being able to use small plot equipment in mm-hmm. Alora, having some sort of hands-on ability with that kind of thing. Uh, in addition to from home and from my summer jobs, just having some base agronomy knowledge mm-hmm. or a fairly good base agronomy knowledge just to, uh, I don't know, it gives, a, it gives me some good context for my research, I guess, mm-hmm. or a good, uh, good starting point, a good perspective. So when we're talking about part of your master's being developing this, this sulfur test, I wonder if we can go back to that and just talk about what do you envision that test involving or, or how it would work? How it would work? I'm thinking it's going to be something similar to the nitrogen test that you have to do partway through the season, and then you'd apply, you would uh, take that sulfur test, see what value you get, and then apply sulfur based on, or, or not apply based on what value you get, if that makes sense. So you would for, just take a bit of your soil and, and send it away for analysis, or you would do it in the field? Uh, I'd imagine you'd send it away for analysis. And so you're just sort of in the, the beginning stages of this project, but um, what, I guess, what is sort of the, the plan and how many years are you looking at um, working on this uh, until you have some more results uh, that can be shared for farmers and, and those interested in, in using that test? Yeah, so I'm in, this is actually a three-year project. Yep. My master's last two years, um, so I've had one field season already. Yep. And I'm going to have a second field season next year. Um, hopefully by that point, we're starting to do 
uh, greenhouse trial for the sulfur test mm -hmm. by next fall and next winter. And hopefully we'll have, well, I'll be finished by the spring of 2020 and I'll definitely have field results then. And hopefully we'll have something from our soil test. I'm not sure what the exact timeline is beyond that for uh, developing that test and getting it accredited into our labs. And research often takes a long time. So do you think that that timeline is quick or long or, or what's your impression based on what you know? Um, I guess we've seen a little bit of response from sulfur for the past few years. So uh, three years seems like a long time to wait. But yeah, I think, I, uh, yeah, research just takes time. <laughs> <It's> gonna, <laughs> you have to have patience, like, I guess, right? Yes. Like to, to be, your, be a researcher. Yes. Yeah. Because we have one field season this year and now we can't do anything until next year. So hopefully we can, I can do more research with outside the field in the office. And in addition to hopefully setting up some sort of project in the greenhouse over the winter. So. And how would those greenhouse trials, I guess, differ from what you do in the field? Because across Ontario, we have such different soil types. So what would you be looking at in the greenhouse? Uh, in fact, we'd be hopefully gathering soils from across the province to use in this pot experiment mm. in the greenhouse. The whole point of uh, doing in the greenhouse is that it's controlled conditions. Um, we don't have any acid rain coming down to uh, <laughs> uh, cause for variability in the project or in the pots. Mm -hmm. um, in that part of the project, we'll grow some sort of crop in replicated pots. Um, we'll apply a certain amount of sulfur, like have one, one block that doesn't have any sulfur applied, have another block that has 20 pounds or the equivalent of 20 pounds per acre applied. Um, and then we'll see what how much sulfur each plant takes up and that, how that relates to a variety of sulfur soil tests or potential tests. From that, we can figure out which test best corresponds to how much sulfur a crop would take up. From there, uh, this is what my field trials are for in Allura. We'll take um, what response I'll see in Allura and compare that to what the sulfur soil test says and see uh, mm -hmm. based on the top performers in the pot trial, like top uh, tests, that we've come up with, see how they perform in field conditions. So is it possible that at the end of this research, you'll find that applied sulfur just doesn't have any effect, that plants don't uptake it that well? Uh, that there's no, no response yeah, like in the, some crops? Just, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're actually doing this in corn, soybean, and wheat. So this is the whole point of the project to see, you know what, if there is response, that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Then we'll make recommendations based on where you are in the province, what crop are what crop that is that you're growing, like say it's wheat or something, mm -hmm. that maybe you should be applying sulfur or you should consider applying it. And uh, if we don't see a response in a particular crop, that's fantastic too. That means that farmers don't have to have that extra expenditure for sulfur in their fertilizer budget. That'll be interesting. And I know you said that you've seen that certain, like you mentioned the brassica crop or that are responding better to it. But um, I, And then you mentioned wheat as being one of them. So if farmers did want to apply some sulfur to wheat i know you touched on this a little bit sort of when would be the timing for that um i think the recommendation now is to use some sort of a sulfate source mm -hmm. so a good option would be something like ammonium sulfate just yep. because it has some sort of a value in terms of nitrogen mm -hmm. and you can replace some of your urea with it while also uh, it'll provide some sulfur and you can just apply that as a blend with your urea. In addition to that, if you want to use a liquid, uh, you can use ATS, like a ammonium thiosulfate, mm -hmm. and that's another good option to apply in the spring with your nitrogen. And uh, is there anything else that you know about um, any other projects at U of G or other um, students or uh, 
professors looking into sulfur that you know about or anything sort uh, of along those lines? Not at the University of yeah. Guelph specifically. I imagine there's more work being done. Actually, there has been a lot more work done at West just because they have never had the deposition levels that we have mm-hmm. ever had. Um, and there's been quite a bit more work in Europe just based on that too. I think they lost a lot of deposition quite a bit earlier than us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not, there hasn't been very much work at the University of Guelph. I know there's been some in Amafra already. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking at wheat mostly. Yep. And I know there's also been a bit of work. Uh, the Ontario Soil and Crop Improvement Association uh, did a little bit of work in, uh, I think, Middlesex yeah. with some corn. Uh, I don't think they found any response there. And uh, no, I think that's that's where we are now yeah. in terms of research. So it sounds like it's definitely something that needs to get looked into then. Yes. Or it's an area that hasn't been looked at before. Yeah. So. And if people want to keep up to date on your, your research as it goes along, are you planning any sort of like social media or postings on the University of Guelph website? Or, or how can people follow along with your research? Um, I haven't really gotten into that yet. Um, I can try posting a bit more on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you can follow, find me on Twitter. Um, other than that, hopefully there's going to be some documents going to the University of Guelph and whether that and hopefully I'll be presenting at a few workshops and such so yeah I think we'll we'll be excited it sounds like a really interesting area um, that we need to learn more about so I'm, I'm sure Green Farmers of Ontario uh, will be curious to to see how it goes so um, yeah we'll be looking forward to learning more and uh, following along as your research project work uh, goes through So thanks, Alex, for joining us today on the podcast. I think that was a lot of interesting information, and I think you have a really uh, pretty cool background to be applying to this project. So Ah, Thank you very much for inviting me today. Coming up next on the podcast, we have an interview with the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, Marcus Hurl. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Marcus Hurl, our chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Um, And we've been talking a lot this week about the new uh, Canada's inclusion in the new USMCA, and we went a little bit over what that includes. But Marcus, can you give us an update on its significance to grain farmers? Yes, uh, it's certainly a good uh, trade deal that was now put together again uh, here for the uh, North American uh, markets, uh, because the USMCA gives uh, back some stability, especially for the grain farming industry, uh, because of um, it uh, provides, again, market access into uh, some of the main markets that we have, uh, which are close to us, uh, the U.S. and Mexico. And uh, especially since grains do flow back and forth um, uh, on a daily basis, uh, it's a welcome news that they actually came up with an agreement and uh, uh, so we're looking forward that uh, this agreement is being ratified and uh, that it gets put in place and also we uh, we also shouldn't forget that in the same token uh, the other trade deals that are still on the uh, table in front of government like the CTPP uh, we're still looking forward that they ratify it and uh, that we can grow into those markets as well. And uh, it certainly was uh, a long time coming that the uh, the trade deal was under negotiation, and uh, it's finally time that they did come up with a workable uh, trade deal that's going to be good for our industry. 
Uh, great. And a few weeks ago, we were at the IPM, and uh, that was a good political experience for Grain Farmers of Ontario. Barry gave us a bit of an update about what happened there, but you um, had the opportunity to talk with Premier Ford a little bit during the IPM and some of the MPPs. What was your experiences while you were there? Yeah, so um, I did have a chance to uh, sit in to the uh, roundtable that was put on uh, early on the day of the opening day of the plowing match uh, to sit down with uh, Ernie Ardeman, uh, our Ag Minister, and uh, Premier Ford to discuss our main issues that are important for the grain and oilseed industry. And again, I brought up uh, some of the key points um, like the uh, business management uh, uh, portfolios that uh, are under review and uh, on the national level and uh, that the, the province does have its work to do in that too. And, um, and again, the, uh, the neonic uh, regulation that uh, we're still asking to, uh, to be uh, removed, uh, to be, uh, since it's not workable for our farmers that we represent. And um, also, it gave, us, gave me a chance firsthand to uh, meet Premier Ford on, uh, since I had the chance to sit in the tractor with him uh, during the parade time um, to uh, show him, first of all, what modern ag- agriculture is, what tools we use and how we use them and um, how important it is to invest into uh, new initiatives and uh, that our industry keeps on growing. And what have you been hearing? We're underway with harvest right now um, across the province in certain areas. What have you been hearing from our farmer members about how that's been going? As it usually happens, the tide has turned. Uh, We uh, did see a significant change in weather patterns uh, since about uh, three, four weeks uh, because uh, going from the dry weather to now extremely uh, more humid and wet weathers uh, which makes harvest some kind of difficult especially for the soybean harvest Uh, it's progressing slowly across the province Um, but uh, again we have to be optimistic that uh, there's still many more weeks of nice weather to come we we hope and uh, then the corn harvest is going to be coming up shortly too but uh, yeah like I said Let's be optimistic here, and uh, we're going to get this uh, good crop off the field. Great. And thank you, Marcus, for joining us today on the podcast for your chair update. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests, Alex Sanders and Marcus Hurl. Also, thank you to our producer, Mark Carter. If you like what you've heard today on the podcast, you can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play.